podcast where I kidnap a few of my friendly local game store staff, put them in a room, and talk about all the nerdy things I need to get off my chest. I am your host, John Parrott, and today with me I have owner Jamie. Hello. And manager Jesse. It's a me, Jessio. You actually went for it this time. Last time you were here, like we had to prompt you to get you all the way through, but I'm proud that you just accepted your Mario S qualities. I did use that one before? Yes, because oh, it spawned no. the whole conversation with oh, Chris that's, Pratt. That's right, it did. Oh, and we I, don't, I'm, I'm a hack. I have no, I have, I'm a one-trick pony. Which, do-do-do-do-do-do, Chris Pratt news, he is now also voicing Garfield. There's a Wait, new, there's, there's a new, a new Garfield, Garfield cartoon? There's going to be a new Garfield. I don't know if it's a movie or a cartoon. I believe it's a movie. After that Bill Murray Garfield movie, I thought Garfield was dead forever. You would think. Uh, which, funny story behind that, uh, the rumor is that, to this day, Bill Murray only takes uh, job opportunities that are left on a voicemail. And then he just listens right. to the voicemail. If he pitches it, he'll contact you back. Uh, apparently, he had heard that this movie was done by the Coen brothers, and he had always wanted to work with the Coen brothers, <laughs> so he said yes. What he didn't realize, it wasn't the Coen brothers, it was just, there was like a different spelling of Coen, so it was a different set of brothers. Wow. And so that's how he got roped into that movie. And then he liked the paycheck, so he did the okay. sequel. Wow. That's Garfield, the rumor. Garfield movie directed by the Coen brothers. Would be amazing. I don't, I don't know. know what that looks like, but I will watch it. I mean, honestly, I watch any, I'll watch anything Coen Brothers make. I may or may not love it, but you know, it's at least it's like there's a new Wes Anderson movie, and I was like, this looks like it could be fun. I would watch Wes Anderson Garfield. Like that makes that would be a really weird. That would what be. Oh, do you know what that would be? Trip. Do you remember the show Wilfred? Do you remember the show yeah, Wilfred yeah, with yeah. Elijah Wood and uh, I can't remember the guy who actually played the dog, but like it was a it was a guy in a dog costume. Wes Anderson's Garfield would be that level of Garfield is Bill Garfield is Bill Murray dressed as Garfield, but it's an incredibly actually I really want to watch this movie. That's now. what I'm saying. <laughs> Think about it a little bit longer and it's there. We um, have been robbed. Bill Murray in a Garfield suit. Yes, just deadpan the entire time. That actually, you know what? That's we were so close. Yeah, we were so close at the table. Using Odie, and just like in the show, like only John can hear him talk because John <laughs> is like going through like a mental breakdown at this point in time. Oh, I I do I, I I never get tired of the deconstructing Dar- Garfield thing. That's fun. But then the problem would be Chris Pratt would play Odie, and then he would be in everything. You know, honestly, so. that makes more sense. Doesn't it? That actually... Now that I say it. But there's been a whole slew of people now coming out saying, just so you know, we are making an animated film. Chris Pratt is not a voice in it. <laughs> like, they're just illustrating that Chris Pratt is not being everywhere. So, that's the... So the the Chris Pratt Chris is Pratt's not in it. Yeah, I don't. I'm not like trying that. to make like the that. Chris Pratt uh, minute a, a recurring segment, but uh, there dude. it is. <laughs> it's I did not have it on the on the rotating list, right? but it's, uh, it's there now. It's where and we are, it, it's where it is to stand. This is the world we're in. If we're not going to talk about Chris Pratt, let's mm-hmm. talk about what we're actually here for, and that is Game. games. Games. So how's the shop been this week? How's things been uh, going? It's good. It's it's been. Um, I don't know. I keep. I feel like every time we do a podcast, I say it's been a weird week, but it's been it's been a weird week. It's it's good. We are um, the catalogs that we talked about before hit, and people are coming in with the catalogs and bringing them in and talking about stuff from the catalogs. So that's kind of cool. We've never done this before. 
we are currently in the process of getting everything set up for uh, the Gamma, a, tool, a Game on Every Table program. That's currently what this week has been, this last week has been. So and for those people who don't know what I'm talking about, we participated in it last year and Gamma is the Game, uh, Game Manufacturing Association right. of America. <clears throat> and it's for publishers and distributors and designers and retailers. And last year they launched a program called A Game on Every Table where they, it's a charity program in partnership with uh, Toys, Toys for, for Tots. Tots, which is of course the Marine uh, Corps program to collect donations and stuff. And so game stores that participate in the program um, get special rates from publishers so that they, we can offer a buy one of this awesome family game at full price and then you can get a second one at 50% off to put in the Toys for Tots bin. And with everybody's help last year, we donated uh, over 200 board games to the Toys for Tots in McLean County. It was funny because the guy came and was like, hey, I'm coming tomorrow to pick up the stuff. And I'm like, okay, bring, bring a big vehicle. And he just kind of chuckled and hung up on the phone. And then when he got there and we had all these boxes packed up, it was like 20 or 30 boxes to get all the games well, in. Yeah, they give you, they give you like, you know, I don't know, a bushel box. Like, they it's give like you a four-footer. Yeah, it's like a four-foot box, yeah. um, like, like a mini fridge box. And we decided that that box is a temporary receptacle to then fill our entire display window with, right? And we got pretty full with it last year. And that's just, it's fun. People love seeing it fill up. We had a lot of people who'd come through and buy multiple things and throw the, like, the, the full price copy in there too, right? They're like, I just want to go donate a bunch of stuff. And yeah. that was really cool. Like Alex started it off last year before we even had the table set up. He's like, uh, just... Put two hundred dollars on my account once the table's set up. Buy two hundred dollars yeah. worth of games and put them all in the barrel. Yeah, and it was it was incredibly it, generous of us to do that. So this year, um, the things did not get arranged the way that we had anticipated because the year's been crazy. So well, publishers haven't actually known yeah, what they're going right. to stop. So there's a lot of things, and then shout out to Pat Fugue at Gnome Games up in Wisconsin. Uh, pulled together a few of the publishers that had participated last year and was like, hey, we got to do this thing again. And, uh, yeah, we're doing the thing again. Yeah, the games are on the way. We got Asmodee stuff on Friday. Um, Haba is on the way. Amigo Games. Um, we, we love those guys for their quick and fun party games. Um, who else did we get from this year? Um, we also got... Um, I think out of Chicago, Gray Matters, uh, oh, that's the, right. game of Wolf, the Game of Wolf, which I tell people is kind of like, it's a trivia game that feels like bar trivia, but in your home, and everyone always is playing. Whether you're solo or on a team, you get to play in the round. Yeah, because so. each round you can decide if you want to go solo right. or if you want to be part of the pack. And then if you go solo, you have to come up with more answers than the rest of the pack that's right. playing against you. And if you if, Otherwise, if you can be part of the pack and pick who's going to be on your side. And who's not? Yeah, and so that one's a lot of fun. And we also uh, there was a there's a new game that we hadn't had in before. It was uh, Kill the Unicorns. I can't remember the name of the publisher, but that one just we saw on the list and went, this sounds interesting. And uh, so yeah. Yeah. So lots of games on the way for the Game on Every Table program. We got our Toys for Tot box from the McLean County folks uh, last week too, and that's that was. 
ordering it and getting it on its way and collecting it, and then this mm-hmm. week it'll be get it up in the window and get that display going. And um, with the goal of by November 15th through December 14th, I think is when they're coming to pick up the box to see if we can pass last year's goal of 200 games. That is fantastic. And I know that we talked about it last week. We'll probably talk about it for a few weeks as we're recording this until it's up because it's just a fantastic program. I didn't even really know about it until we started this podcast and you mentioned it last week. So it's definitely on my list to, to kind of spread some holiday cheer in a, in a way that I love and I hope that could inspire some youngins as well. Yeah, I've, I've in multiple times in the past have volunteered with the Toys for Tots folks to help sort all the stuff they collect from places all over McLean County. And it's, it's things that people need, right? There's people need help putting things under the trees. <laughs> And they will get a list like this household has a, you know, two 14-year-old twins and a six-year-old girl, and, you know, they'll kind of go through the list. And then every, all the volunteers are standing around these massive tables going, okay, this would work for a 14-year-old. This is good for a six-year-old. Let's package all this up and put this aside, and this family is done, and let's move yeah. to the next family. And it's it's kind of cool to, yeah. to be part of that thing. you know, Being like, a wholesome, altruistic tastemaker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And and since we're a drop-off location, if people have things that they want to donate that are new in the package, nothing used, uh, those can be brought in as well. So and we had a few people drop stuff off like that last time. Yeah, there were people who dropped off stuff from their, their wall of shame of board games that have never actually been taken out of the plastic and... and I know Don brought some of those yeah. in last year. So. <laughs> we all have it. We just don't talk about it. Uh, maybe we should have a whole podcast about just the wall of shame sometime. And oh, that's a conversation. Wanna, I don't want to admit to that. I I, mean, we will we will do it directly at your house, Jamie, and we'll oh, go God. through your whole entire backlog. You know, honestly, well, I still have I still have the Kickstarter version of Edge of Darkness that I've never even taken out of the shrink yet, oh. and that's a, that's a game I want to play, but I've just never gotten to yet. I. I am a weird person. I was talking to someone about this the other day. No, you can just stop that sentence. There. Well, yes. It's pretty much Here's, you, uh, you know, reason number 356A. Fair enough. Um, I sometimes like to go, whether it's my DVD shelf, my bookshelf, my game shelf, sometimes I like to just go through the shelf and take stock of, like, have played, read, watched, whatever. Have not, right? And I do that sometimes with my game shelf where I look and I'm like, still haven't actually played that one. Really want to play that one, right? So that can actually be kind of an interesting conversation. Like, what are the things that you're like, I really desperately want to get this on the table. And sometimes it's a matter of having the right crowd that'll engage with it. I know that one of the weird things I have is I have the Judge Dread Miniatures game, this little skirmish minis game from Warlord. And that's one that I, I bought and just went, who knows when I get to play this? I need one other weirdo who likes this franchise that wants to play it, right? I think that's John, actually. <laughs> Slowly raising my hand in the podcast format. But yeah, I, I know Judge Dredd. I've, I've done the Wikipedia deep dives. I've read a few of the comics. It's good stuff. Okay, real quick then. Carl Urban or Sly? Carl Urban for the win. The Sly one is so good, but it's so campy. So the... The I mean, '90s Judge Dread movie does have the aesthetic. It does a very good get job getting the aesthetic, and it is fun in its own way. Definitely good on the camp. As an adaptation, it's very much a comic book movie made in the '90s. The Carl Urban movie, while it is modernized, and I think it still does a good job of having the feel of the comics, but not at the high camp level. Carl Urban. He does not lose that grimace once in the entire movie. And he was very strict about, he was like, 
I, because he, he read up on the comics, he's really into getting into what is the source material on my roles. And he was like, I don't care what you do, if you change the script or whatever, I do not remove this helmet during this. You do not see Judge Dredd's face. That is a rule. Because he knew the assignment. Yeah. Like, he knew what yeah. he had to do, whereas, yeah, Stice alone, he, so if you ever, to, to, we're going to talk about <laughs> other creators later on in this podcast, hopefully, but uh, there's a podcast I love called uh, How Did This Get Made? Mm. And it stars uh, Paul Shear, who came from us from uh, The League. He was in Piranha 3D, which he likes to talk about a lot. Uh, <laughs> he was in um, Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, he was in a few seasons of that. And then he also gets Jason Manzukas, which you'll also know from The League, also from... Uh, Bad uh, Big Mouth, which is the animated oh, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. I believe he, yeah, yeah. he's one of the characters there, uh, as well as Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He played a reoccurring character. And then they sometimes have June Diane Rayfield, who is another actress from, like, Grace and Frankie, who is the wife of Jace, uh, Paul Shear. But they also have, like, some... Sometimes they, they round out the cast with other, like, kind of well-known... Like, you see them, you're like, oh, I've seen them Character in actors and stuff. Exactly. But they go through movies, and it's just bad movies. And they talk about just how bad they are. And they do an amazing episode on Judge Dredd where they go in deep with why it makes so little sense. And June Diane Rayfield hates sci-fi. So she she always has this, like, what is going on? Why did anybody think this is good? And they talk about Slice Alone and his involvement with the project and how there was much disagreement about Will he wear the helmet all the time, or will he? They're take like, it we're off? paying for Stallone. We're paying for that entire face. Yeah. <laughs> so There's a I'm lot of have to listen. Yeah, to that one too it's good. I'll the, find it and send it to you. I mean, I, I'm not saying the Stallone version is good. I'm not saying that. However, I also have the ability to embrace really, really bad oh, yeah. movies. Oh right. Yeah. I love this. It's fun for what it is, and there's so many revisions on the the script for that movie too that really would have taken it a lot of different directions. But, no, it's, I mean, that's the same thing. So I personally really like the um, 2010s, I can't remember if it was 2012, what year it came out, Conan the Barbarian movie with Jason Momoa, and apparently I'm the only person who does. No, I thought that was pretty good. There you go. That was pretty good. But, like, a lot of people hate it. I'm like, I thought it was a good Conan movie. It's not Arnold Conan. That's a different character yeah. entirely. It's more of, like, the Robert E. Howard Conan. Okay, let's, let's real quick. What is your favorite game that everybody else thinks is a horrible game? Mm. Ooh. Mm. Okay, tell you what. We're going we're gonna to take that question, and because I need time to think about it, and so we just don't have dead air, we're all going to be thinking of our answer to that. Mm. Yes. And then at the, near the end of the podcast, we will go into that. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. So let's get back to, to news while we try and propagate that answer inside our head. I know that we're not going to hear from Jesse for the next 20 minutes, so... Uh, what he is lost, he is gone. <laughs> Just his eyes are glazed over. Uh, yeah. But I did want to talk about something else that was going on in the store. Yeah. There were some new releases this week, and I believe the new Magic set came out. And new... there's been some controversy about it, from what you were saying earlier. Yeah. So uh, Wizards of the Coast has fallen prey to global shipping shortages, just like everybody else has, and. Um, Crimson Vow pre-release was this weekend, and um, the big controversy about the set, I mean, well, one, they've never done two fall sets in a row, right? So we just had Midnight Hunt, which was supposed to be about werewolves, but there was very few werewolves in the, in the actual set. Um, and it was really the setup for this set, which is called Crimson Vow, which is uh, set on Innistrad, which we've talked about before, it's all, it's Transylvania, right? It's 
Well, Castle Dracula is the buy box card. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dracula exactly. Dracula is and now in, yeah. Dracula is now a planeswalker uh, in Magic, and uh, the, there's buy a box packs on top of it, and every one of them is something to do with Dracula, including we opened a Van Helsing card hmm. uh, yesterday. And um, But the, the set hasn't really been received super well by Magic players. They, they like the flavor, but... It's another one of these sets that has been very much aimed at the casual play market. And so the, the more diehard players aren't super happy, right? Uh, we did a podcast episode over the summer, and Jeff waxed poetic about how much he loved the Dungeons & Dragons set, the Adventures in Forgotten Realms set that came out in the summer. And that was very much a set aimed at the casual play market as well. And the fact that this one appears to be aimed at casual play market, um, I don't know if we're seeing a change in direction from Wizards of the Coast, if they're finally realizing that the biggest percentage of players that play Magic don't come to the store and play in tournaments. Um, we love our, our players that do come in. We have a great group of guys that show up most Fridays, and they have a great time drafting and stuff. But we know that the majority of the people who buy Magic products from us play in their dorm room in their apartment and and they just have a good time with the set it's a lot lower um it's a lot lower competition level but it's more fun for them to just hang out and and just jam some games with their friends and and this set is another set that is um you know kind of aimed at that casual market and um it's got some really great um art in it, if you, especially if you like vampires, every vampire card in it has what they call the special fang border around the edges. You've got to, if, trust me, just take a look at some of the pictures of it. Um, and the theming with it is a continuation of a storyline, too, which they've done sometimes in the past. They've done these really in-depth storylines, and other times they've just kind of chucked a, a, a set out there and, <laughs> and you loosely tied it into everything else. And this time they're really playing on um, the storyline, and Soren has joined up with the Gatewatch to try to stop. Uh, God, I'm dropping here. Olivia. Mm-hmm. Olivia. I, think I believe that's right. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's been it's been pretty interesting. But so you combine that, the fact that it's kind of aimed at more the casual market, uh, and then on top of that, Wizards introduced this new concept a couple of years ago. I think maybe a year and a half ago, called Set Boosters. Now where you get less um, bulk commons and uncommons, and the packs are more themed uh, than they ever were in the past, and you have chances in the set boosters to get more uh, rares and mythics out of those packs, and we have none for sale. Wow. None, because global shipping issues, and the main release of the set comes out this upcoming Friday, we have, I think we have 10 boxes that we've been allocated. We ordered 84, which is kind of the norm, normal number for us, and we're getting 10. And then being told the rest of them will be in at some point in the future. Because they're probably on a shipping container on some coastline as we speak. Yeah, well, and, and a lot of the, um, a lot of Wizard of the Coast printing is done in Japan. Yep. And so, yeah, it's part of the whole Trans-Pacific cluster that is happening with cargo containers just not getting unloaded so 
So rewinding a little bit about what you were saying about this being a much more narratively driven, more casual focus, I do know that Wizard of the Coast kind of made a splash by introducing Theros and Ravnica into Dungeons and Dragons now. So they are mm -hmm. not just a world that you're playing the card game in, but also a world that you can explore if you like other hobbies, such as role-playing. Do you think that they saw enough of a boon in that, that they're now saying, let's let's focus more on building worlds that then we can explore in other ways through Dungeons & Dragons, possibly, mm -hmm. or board games, so that they can develop kind of a more robust narrative for that they can have a through-line through? Which makes sense, because, I mean... That's good IP use, right? There have been decades now of them creating entire new worlds and settings and characters that are used for a couple of sets and then maybe revisited at some point. But in terms of flavor, you essentially got the booklet that would come in a bundle. You get the flavor text at the bottom of a card, maybe some short stories on their website. I know that I am a person that when I see that, if I'm interested in a world, I want to know more about it. Using that, especially if they're looking at this multimedia style thing that they're they're going for with like the Netflix series and stuff like that, it definitely seems smart. I mean, the only thing, it seems to me that um, I almost said the wrong uh, the wrong name, Innistrad would be an excellent candidate for a D and D setting if Ravenloft didn't already exist. Right. And frankly, you could they are they are different enough. You could definitely have both. I mean, they are about as different as two of your you know standard D and D settings that. Are distinct but similar, right? Sword Coast and Forgotten Realms, or are those in the same? Those world? are in the same thing. Those like, same I mean, world. if you if if you ask someone who's been playing D and D forever, like, what's the difference between Greyhawk and uh, there we go, Forgotten Realms? Forgotten, Forgotten Realms. Realms. It's like, well, they're both fantasy settings with a whole lot of similar elements. There are distinctions, right? High magic versus low magic. Yeah, is the biggest right? One. right. So, yeah, no, I think that you're. Uh, you're probably onto something, John, because with some of the newer Ravenloft books, they've introduced all of these different mini realms inside of Ravenloft, and it wouldn't be a super hardcore stretch to say that one of those mini spinoff realms is actually Innistrad. Oh, you I know. can see that for sure. Yeah, yeah. and then of course, uh, keeping on that same thing, we have the Strixhaven Dungeons and Dragons book comes out in December. Right. So that's another magic world yeah. a plane from magic that is getting created into its own book, and they've been hardcore advertising that for yeah. probably the last few weeks. And and I definitely, you know, Jamie had mentioned the set hasn't been very popular so far with the hardcore competitive players. We've had a few sets now where it has been more casual, flavor-focused, so it doesn't mean it's not a successful set if that subset isn't enjoying it. Um, at the same time, there are other factors, like Jamie had mentioned, this is the second of two false sets. They have had basically a month between each other, and could it have been one larger set? Probably. They really... They're in, in February, there's going to be a special double-feature version of this set that's going to be very limited where cards from both sets are in one booster box and you can get special alternate art versions and i think they really wanted to lean into that flavor and i think maybe the execution didn't come across the way that they had hoped to get to that point because i'm like that's a yeah. neat idea i like that the double feature set the alternate art cards are going to be the cards from midnight hunt and crimson vow right recreated in the classic universal monster yeah. style Ooh. which is it's going to be really so they're cool. all going to be black and white and yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how they lean into that as well you know 
They're always pulling creative things. I saw the uh, on uh, Facebook you showed the Saturday morning D and D cards that just came out. I, I know they do from the original animated TV show that there are still some rumblings that they're going to come back to in some way, shape, or form. Like, someone's going to revive that. That's been a rumor now that I've been hearing for the past few months. Uh, and I were both talking about that we both have the entire set on DVD. Yes. <laughs> you know, now that I, Disney Plus just announced yesterday or the day before that they are reviving the 90s X-Men cartoon. Really? It, it is X-Men 97 is what they're calling it. And it's supposed mm. to be a continuation of the, the Fox cartoon of X-Men, and if that is possible, I'm not counting anything right. out yet. You know, it's, so, and I'm, I'm, I might be getting this wrong, I want to say it was called X-Men 94, when they did the um, uh, Secret Wars Battle Worlds stuff a few years ago in Marvel, where the universes were being splintered and all these little subsets, they did a bunch of short-run series that were based on specific Marvel events as their own little subcontinuities, and one of them is they did what I think became a it was a limited series, then might have gotten ongoing, that was, this is the X-Men 90s cartoon, but a comic version of it. And I'm talking about a, yeah. a TV so show. So I'm saying, like, okay. that's yeah, not, yeah, right. Yeah. But I'm like, I, that was really cool, and I like that. For them to actually do more TV show like that, that's really cool. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they pull that off. They've only just recently announced it, along with a whole slew of more content coming to 2022. Um, so it was Disney Plus Day, so they had yeah. they showed a little bit of Moon Knight, who uh, Oscar Isaac's after Dune. I'm just all in. He was great in Star Wars. I think he was one of the best parts of Star Wars. Seeing him in Dune as now like an older man who is experienced, he's able to pull that off, and now he's going to be the psychotic man who's also a superhero. I think that he's just going to be fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. They talked more about Hawkeye coming out. So they, they, but X Men '97 was definitely a surprise that everyone was like, "We did not see this coming. Where does this even coming from?" But it's setting up that Marvel is probably going to be looking at the X Men for the MCU, and especially with the new uh, X Men United game, mm-hmm. the spinoff of the Marvel United game. I think that's evident that they're mm-hmm. trying to re-ramp up the X-Men and remember why they're cool because something's coming with them. Yeah, that'll be interesting. You know, um, and I think that one of the interesting things about all this is, you know, with leaning into kind of this idea of, I'll take us back a little bit, but leaning into this idea of casual stuff and, and leaning into using the IP more effectively, I think that that works um, a lot better for the casual market than it does to the, the, the very competitive market. Mm-hmm. It's, it'd be a little harder to blend those two together for the, the competitive market. Luckily, as a store, we're known as the more casual store for you know the Bloomington Normal area, mm-hmm. which we're perfectly fine with, right? It's a lot less competitive, a lot more friendships. Um, you know, I remember when I first bought the store, People, I would say, okay, here's postings, and people would be like, well, who is this? I'm like, you play with him every Friday. <laughs> you don't know each other's names. And He's just my mortal enemy. I don't know his name because I crush him. Yeah, and and that kind of uh, that hardcore uh, mentality where they didn't care about learning the other person's name and they were just somebody to be defeated. We have moved purposely away from this into the, like I said, this idea where the people that play at the store now for Friday Night Magic, they all know each other. They're friends on Facebook. They talk to each other outside of the store as well. 
and that sense of community has grown significantly. Um, you know, that's that's that was something that I think that's something that we as a store were very proud of. Uh, you know, and and not leaning into that super competitive play where people don't even know each other's names. So. Yeah. You are a store for the people, not just for playing the games, and that is one of the reasons why I love working with you. However, this conversation has led into three perfect segues for me uh, for the next topic, which is fresh IPs, casual gameplay, and these alternate kind of realities people are playing in. Let's talk about Monopoly. Okay. <laughs> because it's it's a question now that has been bugging me lately, and especially us talking with you know these reskinnings and different ways of playing. Monopoly, to me, is something that makes sense. It is a game that almost everyone played a little bit of growing up. Uh, it is a game that is very well known. But it seems like in the last decade, the idea of making Monopoly in every way, shape, and form has just blown up. And they just announced that there's going to be an Animal Crossing Monopoly. And I looked through it. I'm like, okay, what is the secret thing about this? What is what is separating this from everything else? And from what I've read, it's still just Monopoly. There was a time where themed Monopolies, they would attempt to give it some special rules that would make it different. And they don't really bother with that anymore from what I've seen. There are people who just collect Monopoly, and there are people who collect IP memorabilia. And for the most part, I mean, there are some people who go, oh, I really want to get the Naruto Monopoly because I want to play Naruto Monopoly or whatever IP. I think for a lot of people, it's this is a thing that I can add to the collection for this thing I really like. It's got the themed pieces, and I might not ever play it. By the same point, I know people who just collect Monopoly like they collect Funkos or action figures or, Christy. you know. Yeah. Ken's wife, Christy has I think Ken said she has over 80 versions of Monopoly. Holy cow. At this point. And I mean you're not wrong, right? This year we had um so we just got Queen Monopoly came in and the Sopranos Monopoly, 40K Monopoly, uh Bob's Burger, uh um, South Park. South Park Monopoly just came in. One that I was really disappointed that we had ordered but actually ended up getting canceled and never getting released was It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia Monopoly. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened, why it never got made, but uh, I, that, that had the potential to be amazing. Um, there was also going to be an Always Sunny in Philadelphia clue as well, and that's one where that you could have really gone that crazy. Been... <laughs> I think somebody tries to make the small character of Danny DeVito and says, this is not enough. Danny DeVito deserves more. We cannot make him just a miniature. He needs to be full-size for every game. Yeah, and, and some of them, it, it's interesting, some of them um, are from USAopoly, who... That's kind of their shtick for the most part. 90% of the games they put out is they license an IP and then figure out how to make a, a Monopoly, a Clue, a Scrabble, a Trivial Pursuit. They have a partnership with Hasbro. But then other ones, like the Animal Crossing Monopoly, that's coming from Hasbro, Hasbro Direct. And so it's just interesting to see that the original, the owner of uh, you know Monopoly, Hasbro, and the OP are both actually competing for different IPs to try to bring these out to the table. So, And the Hasbro ones tend to be the ones where there's some sort of different gameplay. Mm, the OP okay. ones are more often than not 
just new skins. Not always the case, but so it's just it's it's really weird. Also, here here's a um, here's a, a weird fact for you. With the OP Monopoly, a couple of times instead of putting it in in that traditional Monopoly box, we all think about that that long narrow box. They tried to put it uh, a couple of versions of Monopoly into square boxes. So were think, those OP ones or were those Hasbro ones that were square? They were both OP ones, okay. I think, if I'm remembering the, correctly. Yeah. They're both from the OP. Uh, USA Opelies trying yeah. to rebrand themselves as OP, and I keep forgetting that. And um, the ones in the square boxes don't sell as well at the store as the ones in the long, narrow box because people don't think that they're real Monopoly. Huh. The examples would be the the biggest one yeah. that was a disappointment to me was the Goonies yeah. Monopoly came in the square box. Think more like the shape of a Trivial Pursuit box. They, right. They actually... From what I have seen, the square box ones are the ones they're trying to make look more premium. The Deadpool mm-hmm. one was that way. The Queen one is that way. Yeah. And and yet somehow that doesn't uh, move as as well. But the collector in the back of my brain is already thinking that's going to mess up my shelf. Right. I've 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 now scheduled that all Monopoly games are going to be the same size in my head, and I've probably created some sort of collection system where it's either hanging on a wall mm. or on a shelf or something and now you're telling me that these ones are not going to fit in with the rest and I could completely see why there yeah. are people being like very upset wanting to re-release wanting options I talked to I talked to our contact at uh, USAopoly and said is this just us and he's like no I don't know why they put it in the square box but it is not sold as well mm. anywhere it, Interesting. it did not meet You'd numbers think, that they thought was gonna, they were gonna hit with it. You'd think after the first few times they would put the kibosh. Stop on doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's well. Here's why. It's cheaper. Those long mm. narrow boxes, if you have to ship them in anything yeah. other than a full case quantity, are way more expensive because of the shape mm. of the box. You know, the U.S. Um, if, uh, UPS and FedEx used to exclusively go by weight as their primary factor when pricing out shipping and now they go by box dimensions and weight they got some complicated chart that they use and it is far more expensive to ship those long narrow boxes even using the post office way more expensive almost double i guess what's always surprised me is that monopoly was really a game invented to teach people why monopolies are bad like it's going to frustrate you it's meant to upset you exactly and for some reason, it has been the one that's been adopted. Whereas, <laughs> Sorry, or The Game of Life, which The Game of Life actually has some narrative elements to it that, to me, that always felt like... was one I really like, liked as a kid. Yeah, me too. That was the superior... I think if you had a mind for, like, role-playing or more it's narratively driven argument. stories, like, things were happening to you that you just had to accept. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be the lawyer, we're going to stop and have a couple kids, we're going to go to college, take some debt on. Exactly. Know. And so, but those games very rarely get any, I mean, sorry has always just been sorry from what I've known. I think they've tried a few different versions of life, but it has definitely not been no, not nearly like what you see. Like, I could see a sorry based in Naruto, where the home pieces are all the hidden villages and you're just racing around trying to get just to your hidden Naruto village. Running. Exactly. <laughs> that sounds, that's good. And like Clue tends to be, I usually tell people, they're like, well, I'm looking at, I kind of want to get the D&D Monopoly or the D&D Clue or you know, Legend of Zelda when that was one. Right. That, um, and I usually tell them, I'm like, well, you know, the Monopoly one is pretty much Monopoly. The Clue ones, they usually put a little bit more theming and effort into yeah. adapting it to Scooby-Doo the Clue. IP. Yeah, yeah Scooby-Doo awesome. Clue. Yep. 
And then, but probably the coolest variant clue yet has been Harry Potter clue. Harry Potter because clue. Because the Harry fun. Potter clue is like the the board is the Harry Potter the Marauders, uh, map. The Marauders map. And at certain points in the game, you there's a dial on the side, and you rotate the dial, yeah. and the names of the rooms change. Yeah, each of so, the towers has secret passageways that are on dials that change. Interesting. Yeah. And so the rooms change. So when you're trying to, I need to get to this room to try to rule that room out and 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 move forward with my guesses for clue. The rooms change, and so you it, it can completely change your strategy of how you're going to get there and how many turns it's going to take to get there. I, th- I thought that was the coolest clue. Yeah, we've I, seen like so far. I like Random that. Random tangent: When you guys play Clue, do you look at what other people like their faces are or what cards they get and try and make guesses based off what they've gotten? It's honestly been long enough since I played Clue. I don't know. I probably would if I, I probably would. So you're playing the people and not the game? Half and half. Is this because like poker? you still got to play your own, but you know this person has guessed something, and they got a card, mm. so one of those three things is right. So I have a whole complicated like corner-based system where I'm like, if it's a one Doing mark, hard it deduction. could be, but this is... I know that they asked this in the other room, too. They stopped asking that this time, so they must have gotten that one. John, you're the person that... Now, can you do that without taking the physical notes? Can oh, you, no, I no? need okay. the physical notes. I, I say, that's the kind of thing that I really enjoy if you're playing a multi-round social deduction game like Werewolf. Like, not one night, but, like, regular Werewolf. Yeah. Is when you have those people who, like, are, you know... They're being, like, the Sherlock Holmes or Detective Conan of the situation of, like, well, I remember what you said last time, and so now I'm thinking three turns back... And tracking what, whether or not I can trust you and like all that very layered deduction. Yes. Yeah. That's fun. So, yeah, I just didn't know, because I've, I've seen people get upset at me and they tell me that I'm not playing the game right when I'm doing this because, but there's nothing <laughs> yeah, against that. It's, it's just, just that I'm paying yeah. attention to yeah. what you're getting. So I didn't know if that was a common thing or if that was just something I did. I assume that in more people. I don't even know the last time I played. I, the, I I remember trying to teach my niece Clue Jr. and she just was after Thanksgiving dinner a few years ago. She was just not into it. But I don't know the last time I played a full game of Clue was. Okay, that whenever we start your Patreon, that will be a goal. Watch the Red Raccoon staff play a game of Clue <laughs> and try and remember how to play this game after all these other advanced games they've learned. Yeah, go back to the basics, right? You know, some of the other games, too, like Sorry and Trouble as well, um, I'd have to look. I don't... There's also a difference between which games are Hasbro and which games are Mattel. True. Mattel has been far more conservative about what they've put out, and they just regurgitate the same game with maybe an updated box to, to make the box look modern, but that's it. And you'll notice that there are practically no Mattel games in the store because... Um, well, Mattel wants a minimum commitment of $1 million a year, and we, we're we not going to buy a million dollars of just Mattel games. It's not happening, guys. No. We're we're not that kind of store. They're looking for Walmarts and Myers. Yeah, they and, are. And Pomidas, if they're still around. I don't think they're around. That oh, might have been what? a what? De- a Pomida? I've Wait, never where heard that before. Where are you from? What? what I've that? literally never heard of Pomida. Okay, so Pomidas were in my hometown when I was growing up. It was kind of like a middle ground between kind of like a Dollar General and Walmart. Okay. So it was, it was kind of the Kmart okay. zone as okay. well. Uh, there, The last one I knew of in existence was actually in Monticello, Illinois. I believe it is closed now. But, yeah, it was it was a whole... So this isn't even like a weird coastal thing or something. No, it's, it was I in Illinois. North. 
No, I am from down south. I'm from Robinson, Illinois. Ooh, if anyone okay. listening has ever had a Heath Toffee Bar, they were made in my hometown. It's one my of our places to My wife has been addicted to Heath Bars for the last month. What I should do is get you to... Uh, I will try and get these for you, but Heath Bars, whenever you eat them, they've been in the packaging for at least six months uh, because of just shipping and, and, and packaging and all that. But if you go to Robinson, you can get them before they've ever touched package. So you get them like the days fresh or primo weeks. Heath. Pre- oh, it is a world of difference when they have not been wrapped in plastic for six months. I, I will bring some. We will throw. You can throw them in your freezer. You guys will enjoy it. We'll do like a live eating here on the podcast because oh, yeah, that's that exactly that's exactly what you want on a podcast. Hearing people eat hard taffy, but yeah, that's like we'll the make difference between toffee. Um, we got you know we were in Europe and chocolate in Europe is still made with sugar mm-hmm. and chocolate in the United States is mostly made with high fructose corn syrup and we brought back an entire case of Kit Kats because that's Kelly's favorite candy and she's and there's it's very dramatic taste, taste difference between a European Kit Kat and an American Kit Kat I had a mojito Sprite whenever we were in Paris mm, and I don't know good. why that's not made in the United States because it's probably good. one of the most tastiest sodas I've ever had. And saying that there's a tasty soda in Europe where, again, they don't have the same sugar content that our drinks here do, it was quite a life-changing experience. Hmm. Interesting. I've never heard of uh, a Mojito Sprite or of whatever that store name was. You said Pal- Pamida. I'm just... Okay, I might just be a huge uh, Mandela effect for you guys. Right. Like, maybe I'm just a holdover from another universe that nobody knows. I think now is the time. We've had some time to digest the question on air. Let's go ahead and transfer over to the games that we're ashamed of. I have spent the entire time I, looking through my collection, is thinking that what about. You've been doing over there? Yes. And now I'm actually. I, I realize I don't have a lot of my newer games logged in my BGG collection. So there's a lot of things where it's like maybe I just didn't even log an actual play of this with another human. All right, I'll, I'll start then. Yeah. Cosmic Cows. Never heard of it. It's I bought it from Grafalia's Airy when Ken still owned it, and it is, uh, God, it's it's Yahtzee, but it's a two-player version of Yahtzee where there are cows on a board, and each person is uh, in a spaceship, so we're both aliens, and we're trying to pull a certain number of cows towards us, and if you can get um, four cows, you win the game. So think, uh, the you know, South Park, the alien ships always sucked up yep. the cows, right? Um, that's what you're trying to do, and you're using the Yahtzee rules, um, you know, small straight, big straight, Yahtzee, things like that. And as you use those rolls, you can move the cows a certain number of space. So it's a tug of war where, you know, do you go for pulling the cow towards you or do you go for pulling a cow away from the other person's ship so they can never get the cow all the way in their ship? I want to play this game with you so bad. This sounds so fun. Uh, that is right up my theme. Kelly's alley. not a big gamer, but that's a game that I could consistently really? get her to play. Yeah, we used to play it sitting at the kitchen table and while we were having dinner. We could just were pulling cows back and forth. You still need to get the initiative on the table, by the way, for you and Kelly. I think you two would absolutely enjoy that. It's puzzle solving. There's not moving pieces. It finally just came back in print. Yeah. Okay, so good. Because we had sold out of it. Right. And you said you've got to play the initiative, and we were out of it, and it's been gone since, God, well, July. And, and we have a store copy that I don't think has ever actually been used, which... I we had talked a couple months ago. I was like, hey, I have people telling me we've got to play the initiative, and 
Jamie and I had talked about, well, you know what? Maybe we can do like one mission in the morning to kind of get our brains going before the day gets crazy. We don't get that time in the morning anymore. <laughs> it's So it's a little bit more involved than just solving a puzzle. There is moving around right. on a board. I will say, and I can't say this without ruining stuff, so right. I'm apologizing. You need to have a fresh box of the game. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and go through it through the instructions that they right. give you. Um, because the twists and turns that they do in that game still amaze me. My wife and I actually have, have put it aside now five times. We play like two stories and we put it aside because it's so good we're trying to mm. savor it. It's like a bottle of wine for us. Like We don't want to use it all at once, even though it's delicious. We just want to have you it. You do the same time. thing with Cthulhu Death May Die. Mm. We just finished all of the stories. Okay, and, you oh, finally no, did it. The box one. So we're in box two now. Okay, okay. Uh, the uh, season two. But the unspeakable box, which was in the Kickstarter, still... It's got like a $300 price tag online, and I still can't pull my trigger to get that. That's one Kickstarter yeah. I will always regret not getting into. I know for the initiative, I have a group of friends who played through it, and they were like, we're all, like, we've all been playing board games for a long time, and we've all been playing legacy games for a long time. And there were some things here that just made us, like, jaw drop on the floor, like, wow. Absolutely. I did not expect that to be a thing that, that was happened. Derek and Derek and Gemma and, and, Sean, and Sean, yeah. yeah. 110% agree. It is worth yeah. your time. But shameful okay. games. Shameful games. John, so what's yours? Mine is, not necess- mine is a lot about the theme because niche games for me is just a thing. So the first one I'll bring up is a we're, gift. We're allowed to do more than one? I'm going to do two. Okay. So you can do two. Okay. That's the if limit. If you did one, you can do we're two and three. We're at about 30 <laughs> minutes, so we have some time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it was a gift from my wife. She spent a large amount of money to make sure I could have it because it was something that I truly enjoyed. And literally walked it from Red Raccoon Games, like, on her head to get it to our house so that I wouldn't know because we're a one-car family and I had the car. Uh, It is the Power Rangers uh, Battle for the Grid. Heroes of the Grid. Heroes of the Grid, excuse me. And she carried that whole thing home that day. She did. I did, know, I did not know that. She I did. Wait, that was the her. Kickstarter bundle, right? That was the Kickstarter. I, that's bundle. a lot of stuff. I could have given her a ride. Yeah, <laughs> she she would not have accepted it because she is a strong, independent woman that don't need no man. But uh, I think she regretted it about halfway through. She told me. <laughs> However, the game itself is fine. It's not something I'm truly ashamed of, but it's trying to explain to somebody who is not in the know about that universe like what's going on and who they're playing, mm. that becomes an increasingly frustrating experience. My wife mm. says, I bought you this game. We will play it anytime you want. And I was like, I know you would. And I would love I love you for that. But the problem is, we get out the characters, and I'm like, yes, this is Doggy Kruger. He's a half-man, half-dog space alien who ran a, a Power Rangers in the future that were also cops and arrested monsters before they destroyed them. And then she just looks at me, she's like, I hate this game. Like, I love you and I will play this, but I just hate hearing how amazingly weird this is. And so, and I have bought every single expansion. Like, I have, I'm a huge nerd about You're it. All it's in. all, it's, I'm all in. I know that there's some new ones coming out. Looking forward when you guys call me, because you know you're going to. And I'm going to come in and buy them. Uh, I even, there was like the two bully characters in the show. Bulk and they and got, skull. yeah, they got characters. I'm like, I'm not going to buy this, because at least I can draw the line. 
totally scooped it up after like a week as, of knowing it was there. To paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, we've got a serious Power Rangers collection going. The tendency is to take it as far as you can. Exactly. And it's <laughs> uh, the gameplay is really good. Every they each character has their own deck that kind of has a different look and feel. So they really put a lot of time and energy into it. And they're pulling stuff from the excellent comic book series. So if you're in the know, this game is incredible for you. But trying to explain it to somebody just makes you sound like a crazy person. And it's one that I just never recommend. Like, people are like, what game do you want to play, John? And I know in the back of my head, it's this. And I say nothing about it. I will... (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't want to... Go ahead. ahead. I will say, I I have frequently said, Heroes of the Grid is a game that, mechanically speaking, many people would enjoy but they sleep on it because they go, I don't know the IP. And even if you don't really know the IP and you just get the tropes of that kind of a team hero story, you know, you could still enjoy it. I've played it at a table of people who, some of them were like, yeah, I really know this. Other people are just along for the ride. Um, But, I mean, you do have like, okay, why do each of these different characters function the way they do, right? And it's like, well, just this character's a glass cannon. This person's defense. This person's the team leader. And that gets you so far, as long as they're already on. But there are a lot of people who look at it, and especially because many licensed games, there's an assumption that you are invested in the IP yep. that you won't enjoy it if you're not, right? And we've talked about that with, like, Dune, right? Yeah. Like, trying to teach someone the Dune board game, the strategy game, if they're not already familiar with that setting... There's a whole lot of strange to it. They, they can enjoy it, but they, there's a learning curve they need to already be willing to deal with. Yeah. I would say that's probably similar. And then the expansion for Dune, which is coming out now, which is the... Oh, the Rise the of Ix. The Rise of Ix. Yes. That's a whole other thing that they haven't even really covered in the new movie. It's barely covered in the old movie. It's really just, like, book-dependent knowledge. Mm, they don't really show up until... Well, I, I, my, mentally, I get Ix and the other one, t- Telexanu. I, I, Google, I just did the equivalent of you type into Google and let Google fix it. But it's the ones who really run up on the edge of the tech taboo. I don't think they show up at all until Dune Messiah. Yep. So that expansion's coming out, but again, to try and... Ex- you're like, we can play this game again. You're like, okay, who's the, what's this new faction? Okay, sit down, because yeah. we need 20 minutes to get through this. And, <laughs> and with Power Rangers, it's yeah. weird, because you're like, look, we could play a game where five people play as the same character, Tommy Oliver, and then you can be fighting against Tommy Oliver. And that makes complete sense if you know the show. Uh, but trying to explain that, it's just it's just nonsense. Yeah. My second game is kind of in wait, that... Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Jesse's first game. Fair enough. Let's, let's, I got let's, a second well, If we're going to okay. do two, I got a second okay. one. So Jesse, we'll go around the table. Okay. So I'm looking through this, I was thinking, right? Because there's similarly to, to, to John, there's a lot of games that I like based on theme that are niche, that it's like no one else is interested enough to jump at it. And I looked through, I was like, well, there's a few of these that once I got someone to play them, they were like, yeah, I like this too. But getting it to the table is the hard part, right? And uh, and still just having a hard time picking on some of them. Because you kind of... I thought about Heroes of the Grid. I was like, you know what? Everyone had a good time when we did play it. I could get them to play it again. Yeah, and where was my invite to that one time where I could have played with people that actually know the series? Where was that? I think I invited you. You did not. I I thought that I did. You told me about it on this podcast (laughs) a week after you did it. Full well knowing that you are one of the reasons I own the game because you sold it to Amanda. Um... It wasn't hosted at my home will oh, be my excuse. that would be a good one. That would be a good one. I'll, yeah, I'll accept that. Yeah. That's, All right, um, pick one, Jesse. Yeah, pick let's one. go. Let's okay. go. On. So, you know what? We'll go with... Um, 
You could just edit the dead silence out, and that makes it perfectly fine. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Pick no, again. I Come know. On. I I had How? it. So so. Is it because there's so many games on the list for your? How much of? shame do you have about your have board a, game collection? I have a lot of shame. And it, well, again, it's one of those <laughs> things where I just go, I like this game, but when do people actually go, hey, like I'll give it a shot? Sometimes it's something that it's like, okay, we'll go with a game that I think that I like that I would know better if I got to play it more than once is like Tigers and Euphrates. So there we rock, go. Uh, uh, it's a um, a it. Kinesia game, okay? And honestly, if it had any theme except for being about ancient Mesopotamia, I probably wouldn't care about it. it but it's an interesting area control game of laying tiles that are different types of authority figures in your city-state, but you don't have to t place them all around each other. You can place them on the other side of the board. It has to do with what in relation to where their tiles are. So it's tile placement. It's not as abstract as a lot of his games, which works for me because Reiner makes a lot of really games that I go, that theme sounds cool, and then it's like, this is just numbers. This yep. is just numbers. Yep. So, like, Tiger She Phrases a game, I can never get people to actually sit down and play, but I think that it is a good semi-abstract strategy game. Um... So I'll do that as my first, then we can go around round two and I'll be quicker. I could have I, I could have put down five dollars that it was gonna be some weird history game. Well, the other one I was looking at was, was like, well, people had fun playing Sumeria when I could get them to play it. That one's dry too. I would have made <laughs> I would have walked out of here with money today if I had put that down. Alright, Jim, you got number two. Alright. Trailer Park Wars. You have mm. talked about this game to me so much. We're gonna have to play it. Trailer Park Wars is so ridiculous and the i mean just from the fact that the way that you keep track of your your victory points is using little pink flamingos they're like pink yard flamingos they just took this theme and just ran with it right so it at its heart it's a card game and a little bit of an area control game each person playing has a a trailer park that they're running so we're all the managers of a trailer park and all the trailers are real. They went out and took pictures of the most outlandish trailers they could find. That's fantastic. And they're all unique. So everybody has unique trailers. And then it's a card game where you are trying to score points by having uh, people living in your trailer park. So on one hand, you can play people into your trailer park, arranging them near each other so that they give bonus points to each other. At the same time as you can nerf somebody else's trailer park by playing bad tenants into their trailer park. Um, or you could play cards that put amenities into your trailer park. So, for instance, you could have the swimming pool go for your trailer park. And the um, there are certain tenants that, given the fact that this is kind of maybe a family podcast, I can't say, <laughs> they're right on the edge. I actually, I took, I wasn't thinking one time, and I took Trailer Park Wars to a game club, a junior high game club once, forgetting about a few borderline spicy cards that were in there. People like, who work for their money. Yeah, like, well, badass bikers is one mm. of them, right? And like, and, and the teacher just looked at me like, dude, <laughs> come on. Um, so you could put amenities in your trailer park as a, for instance, if you have the chain smoking lady uh, and you put the cigarette vending machine in there, they have a bonus effect on each other. Or you can do things to other people's trailer parks where you play a card into theirs. Like, let's say, let's say for instance, John, you had the hot tub. I've got it. I could put uh, jello into your hot tub and then it, it, your, your hot tub becomes a negative thing. 
Oh. Unless you move a a tenant, the like the mecha- the mechanic into your trailer park, who can fix it, who can fix the hot tub, and so you can there's there's all these give and takes, and then then there's straight up just attack stuff. So I could actually launch the surface to trailer missile at one of Jesse's Jesse's trailers, and it blows up a trailer, and the trailer is gone from the game for the rest of the game. But then Jesse might do something to come over and steal one of my trailers, and so you can't score points if you if you have no trailers to move people back in. If you uh, if if Jesse played the um, the cute elderly couple um, in one of his trailers, I could move in the punk rock man in the trailer next door, and they both give each other negatives instead of positives. That's awesome. It's 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 this crazy give and take game, but the theming on it is so stereotypical, and it's so you just got to see it to believe how ridiculous it is at some point. So that's I love that game. I've taught so many people how to play that game. I'm not even sure they make it anymore. And then there was an expansion. There was actually an expansion to it that added weather effects too. Like you could get a tornado that would like come and blow things around and things of that nature too. Interesting. Okay, let's go back around because now you've had time to, to really think. No, What's you're your number supposed, two? You're supposed to have your number I'm two. I'm saving first. my number two for the very end because I think it might spin out into some okay. other conversation. Board games specifically are, I think we are can CCGs or role-playing games alike. I think CCGs, because I know that there's some crazy CCGs out there. Yeah. Collectible okay. card games for those yeah. uh, in the know. So, because I was going to say, if it's role-playing games, actually, that one is, even though there's majority of the ones on my shelf, I honorable mention to um, Cthulhu Tech, which is the game that I desperately would love to actually play in that setting. Unfortunately, the rules look neat at a glance, but functionally are bad. <laughs> it's I, I've actually looked into it. I had the same experience. Yeah. I, was, I love reading the lore about yeah. it, but then there's times where you're either uh, just a guy fighting a war, or you're taken over by like a Venom symbiote, or you're fighting in giant mechs, and it's just kind of the, all the same rules they, across the board that don't make sense. Yes, they tried to make, they tried to do a lot of different types of stories in one setting, which can work, but with the mechanics they did, I mean, the core problem is they tried to do this poker dice thing of you have a die pool, and then you can do single uh, result, straight, doubles, trips, whatever. The problem is that the math, when you go from having two dice to three dice to four dice, is there's no curve, there's no nothing, it's just wonk. Um, that's an honorable mention. CCG it's actually works out really nicely. For a long time, I always wanted to get people to play the Universal Fighting System card game with me, but it was just wonky enough with having a lot of little weird mechanics that I could never get people to do it, but I love fighting games, and I was like, this is neat. And I actually have gotten people to play with it, me with it now. Play me, play with me playing it, because the My Hero Academia game uses yep. the same system, and we played that this week. You suckered me into it, and yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah, So that's I can I can put a pin in that though for when we talk about things we've actually been playing. If that's a thing that we actually still have time for, uh, this episode. Uh, we might, we might. <laughs> it, we're running a little over, but we're impassioned, and we th- yeah. that's not an accurate time. Uh, I will say that probably my second one is. One that I've been putting on the Facebook message orders for Kickstarter right now, and that is Monster Apocalypse. Mm. So again, I wondered if that was going to come yeah, out. Yeah, it, yeah. I would have walked away with five dollars on the table. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we would have broken even. Uh, so Monster Apocalypse was something I I saw weirdly, and this was before I was really into board games. I think the most I had in my life was the Zombies Triple Exclamation Point we talked about in our Halloween episode. And that was really the only board game that I really like owned that was weird off the kilter. So I saw this somewhere, 
uh, in some solicitation. I was like, I need this in my life. And I lived in Decatur at the time. And I drove up to Grafali's Airy uh, at the time because it was the only store in the area that was going to have it. I went into the store. I bought like three boxes. I didn't like everything that I got. And it was a blind box. So you had to go right. back in. I bought like another two. I brought two of my friends hoping that I would like get them excited about right. it. And they could literally care less. And so I then ended up with all of these figures and really no one to play the game with. So I started to set them up like in my, like a single man would mm-hmm. in his apartment. Like I set them up in like a diorama and then people would come over and they'd just be like, what is this? And I was trying to use it as a conversation mm-hmm. piece, but what it looked like was giant robots fighting giant Cthulhu's fighting dinosaurs. And it was just yeah. this hodgepodge of weirdness and no one ever gained any interest out of it. And so it became <laughs> kind of like this thing that I spent so much money on. And it's a it's a really good game. I've really enjoyed the few times I've gotten to play it. I actually, in high when I was a high school teacher, I started trying to get my kids to play it. So at least there was a reason for me to own all of it. <laughs> uh, and they actually did a few times. They enjoyed it, but then they started breaking pieces. And so we had to cut that off. But it was just one of those things where... Again, just the theme of it made you kind of, you had to be in it. You had to love giant monsters. You had to know that world to really experience it correctly. And it obviously just did not pan out. So that, that is probably my other shameful, shameful game. I will, I'm going to add a super quick plug as a, of a runner up for me War of the Ring. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. widely acclaimed as one of the best board games of all time. This is like time. a reverse example, then. Yeah. Widely acclaimed as one of the best board games of all time, and every time we have tried to get it to the table, getting through the rules, I've lost everybody at the mm. table. Because mm. it's like a game within a game within a game, and we've never actually we I think the last time we tried to play it it was we were 45 minutes into just going through the rules and then we gave up and played Carcassonne I think so we <laughs> it was yeah so that's that's my game of shame that it's it's not shameful it's shameful that I own it and have never successfully mm. actually played a full game of it because we just can't get through the rules it's so crunchy I get that oh man so crunchy okay John you had said um that you thought maybe you had a transition coming out of Monster Apocalypse, and now I'm wondering like where you were going to go oh, with that conversation. I, I because of time, I was going to cut it, but obviously they are reintroducing obvious. Obviously, everyone knows this, right? <laughs> obviously. Uh, so Monster Apocalypse was a skirmish game. It was originally developed to be something like uh, 40k or uh, Warhammer, where you buy the models, you assemble them, you paint them, you play them on a play mat. Uh, it always had more of a board game experience, however, because instead of building huge terrain, you do have maps that were either paper or neoprene, and you put buildings on top of them. Right. So you're always consistently in like a square. It works on a grid. Yeah. And it works on a grid. So it was a game that kind of felt like a board game because it had those borders around it, whereas many of the other miniature games... But you never bought it like a board game because you had to get a starter set for each faction. Exactly. You bought it like it was a mini game, like you said. Exactly. So actually, and this was something that was kind of interesting, I'm wondering if other game companies might follow this, and they kind of already have, but they've taken Monster Apocalypse, they've partnered, Privateer Press, the people that own Monster Apocalypse, partnered with Mythic Games, and they're producing a board game version. Mm -hmm. So what they're basically doing is instead of the the models that you had to assemble and paint with glue and resin glue and things like that, they're just molding them. 
so that you have them just as one piece, still paintable if you want. Everything is still to scale, so if you have second edition Monster Apocalypse stuff, uh, it still works with the game as is, but it is now in a board game, so you actually get a, a, a play mat, a board, a cardboard to play on, uh, but they have released almost everything that is currently out they have redone in this new style. Okay. Uh, where you have this resin mixture. And then there's all these different add-ons for the different factions that you'd want. The base game alone has just a little bit of everything in it, so it kind of gives you a little flavor for all the different factions, but you can buy as many add-ons as you want. I think there's like five now, and really just kind of reinvigorate it. And from the price guidelines, it's an incredible deal. Uh, last time I, I was looking at it, I think it's almost $5,000 of savings. So if you went and actually bought all these pieces separately, it would cost you $5,000 more than what's coming with the board game itself. Wow. Okay. Well, um, we're definitely getting it. Because, oh, okay. Yeah, we're getting it. They they wrote me back, and it was... Uh, at the time they wrote me back, there was only one expansion, or two expansions available, and they said, hey, here's the price of these expansions. So if there's five... I'll just have to write them back and make sure that we can get everything. But. The rumor is there should be an all-in package by the end of the campaign. It still okay. has one more week to go. Well, the the, the all-in package on the campaign does not always translate with a lot of the publishers to an all-in campaign for the stores. Fair. Some some publishers have done a really good job with that. Like probably Simon is doing the mm. best job with that. You know, with Ankh or um, the new uh, Marvel United. Yeah. Um, X-Men United. Zombicide. And then Zombicide, the um, the undead one, right. which was, what is that? The uh, Quick and the Undead. The Quick and the Undead. The, the Wild West one. Yeah, the yes. Wild West on Zombicide version, which is so cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but they've done a really good job of saying, uh, here's one box, and if you if you are a store, um, everything is just in this box. Right. You just you know, and it works. I'm sure it works out better for them in terms of yeah. packing and sending it off to Kickstarter backers as well. But like, even Unsettled, which is another game we just got in last week, and it was like, here's the C bundle that had four planets. Here's the D bundle that had six planets, and it was just one box yeah. with the lighter on the outside of it that you got everything you needed in that box, and you didn't have to worry about sorting things out. It can right. be a little confusing for the consumer because they'll see, well, this, the, you know, the, the, the campaign is running out on Kickstarter, so I need to get it in with you. I know you've said that you're going to be able to get it, but I need to get that in with you before then, right? But in actuality, a lot of retailer Kickstarter backing is the campaign ends, and after that period is where they get us the final information for what the cost will be on a lot of different stuff, what we can definitely get in different arrangements. So typically, you don't need to worry if the campaign's already over if we said, yes, we're going to back it. There's just a delay sometimes because we don't have to confirm stuff till later usually. Gotcha. Yeah. And I will say that that is one of the great things about Red Raccoon and backing through you because you will know that you're getting it and then you can just put a small portion of money down mm -hmm. under, unlike in the Kickstarter where you might have All to buy fun. a certain pledge or you put down just a dollar so that you can get access to the pledge manager later, which should still get you all the items that you want, just maybe not some of the Kickstarter exclusives. With you guys, it just seems like if you if you invest in your local game store, you're going to get everything that you need. But yeah, the Kickstarter itself, for Monster Apocalypse, because I haven't had anybody to talk to about this, <laughs> uh, there's five add-ons. Each add-on has two factions included with units and monsters. Then they have more maps, they have more buildings, but uh, one of 
definitely a game that, that having that arrangement works out because it's each faction is small enough that if you're into it, you're going to end up doing multiple factions anyway in the old setup, right? Exactly. So. And because it's all convertible, they even have a pledge that they accepted that other people are going to have content. Yeah. So it's just the new stuff. So mm-hmm. if you already own all the stuff, you can buy into a pledge that's just the new stuff coming from them, and that way you don't have to feel like you're rebuying everything. Am I going to? Yes, because I'm a sucker. <laughs> uh, but Real men. I, I, yep, they got me. They got me good. So that will lead us into kind of what's uh, what's hot, what's the new hotness at the game store, seeing how we can't have Monster Apocalypse, which I know everyone's going to be clamoring for in a, next year. Uh, but I did send a photo to everybody in our, yep. that we're all opening our phones right now to go look at. So um, I think that the, the, the probably the biggest thing is the new Pokemon set, Fusion Strike, came out uh, full release this week. And that has been moving pretty well. Um, it's based around Mew and Mewtwo uh, and introduces a bunch of new VMAX cards that, that people have never seen before. I know a lot of collectors are looking for that. Um, and we may have finally broken through, Pokemon may have finally broken through some supply chain issues. Oh, so, really? Yeah, the celebration set, train wreck, don't know when we're getting restocks, people still trying to find it, never even saw some of the parts of it. But the Fusion Strike, they may have broken through and gotten enough product out there to satisfy demand. We'll see how that shakes out um, because Christmas is still six weeks away. And maybe what feels like we have enough right now turns out to not be enough by the time we get to Christmas. Because next Pokemon set doesn't come out till the end of January. Uh, so that's been a big one. Uh, Unfathomable is the new release came out yes. last Friday from... Uh, fantasy flight yes. games. Yep, I've had a few different friend groups play that and give their give their feedback on it. I own it. Uh, my wife has read through the rules and she is super excited to get into it. Uh, she did not realize it was a reskin. Um, and I will say that it, while it does exist in the Arkham Horror universe, mm. at this time it's all new characters. Right. So it's just basically made for this game. I think that there's probably going to be an add-on or some expansion, maybe that will include some that of the classic sense. characters. Uh, from what I'm kind of being hearing. But it, it already has my wife just ready I, to get three or more people together to play. I can see. So for, for those who aren't familiar, Unfathomable, like was mentioned, is an Arkham Files game. It is mechanically a uh, redone version of the old Battlestar Galactica game, which Fancy Flight made a decade ago. Which, when I first got into gaming really hardcore, that was a very popular game. We played the heck out of it. Classic um, cooperative game with hidden trader mechanics. Um, in that case, you are trying to get a certain number of light speed jumps done in your colony ship without getting, you know, destroyed by secret uh, robots, right? In Unfathomable, you are on a regular ship, yep. and there are there are um, deep ones and secret hybrids that are trying to destroy you. And there's a little bit of tower defense. There's some cooperative crisis solving. Thinking about it in terms of expansions. Um, the new Caprica expansion for Battlestar gave you a sideboard that was a new, the new Caprica planet, which you could land on, do actions there, etc. And I could definitely see them doing like a pull into port at a, you know, Innsmouth. Innsmouth expansion in the future. That could be interesting. Uh, I've heard great things about it. I've heard people are having a lot of fun with it. 
from what my wife was telling me at the very beginning of the game, you might not know who the traitor is. So you pass out cards, everyone looks at it, and it could be that uh-huh. in the deck somewhere is the traitor cards. So at the very first round, you might not have they do a the, traitor yet. They do the mid-game, get another one. Every round, you pull some more cards, and then all of a sudden, you might become the traitor. That was a expansion mechanic in Battlestar, so it's very cool that they made that a core mechanic in this new game. Yep. So... I personally uh, actually got to start going into the Marvel Champions new campaign, which is uh, Mad Titan Shadow, Ooh. which is basically Infinity War, Infinity mm. Gauntlet, depending on where you would do. Thanos is trying to collect the stones. So it's actually a continuation from the last game, oh. the last campaign, in kind of a tangential way. But you don't have to play it to really understand what's going on. Uh, but it's been really good. Uh, it introduces two new characters, Spectrum, who you'll recognize from WandaVision. Little spoilers there. Uh, as well as Adam Warlock, who is coming in the future. And then this week they also released... Uh, and, and both of those characters have some really cool mechanics. Every single character in the game has just something different about them. They really are spending time making each character feel different. I picked up War Machine, who just recently came out for the game as well. Uh, and I was like, is this going to be just another Iron Man? Is this going to be a reskin of him? But they have a completely different mechanic. Iron Man's all about building tech, and so the more tech you build, the more powerful your character becomes. Uh, War Machine, you collect ammunition, and the more ammo the ha- you have, the more attacks you can do with the other add-on and upgrade cards that you get. So again, it's a fantastic game. Uh, if you like card deck building and you like kind of the story elements, especially from Arkham Horror, the living card game, this is a great middle ground to kind of play around in with friends. Yeah, one of the other ones that's been really popular too is uh, Machi Koro 2 came out. Oh. So Machi Koro was one of the original, hey, you're the mayor of this town, and uh, score as many points as you possibly can. And it was very much an engine-building kind of game as well. And so Machi Koro, but, but Machi Koro suffered a problem where it got very predictable, and every game kind of played out the exact same way. Well, then they fixed it when they released the expansions for Machi Koro, Adding on, so Machi Koro by itself, not a great game. Machi Koro plus either of the two expansions, all of a sudden a really fun game because it wasn't predictable and it, it, there was some variety to the game and replay value. And, and all the reviews are saying Machi Koro 2 embraces this variety and replayability idea. So it, it just came out. I'm interested in that one. And then, of course, anybody that knows me knows, of course, that I will be getting... Uh, Carcassonne. Carcassonne 20th Anniversary Edition. Would have so. made another five bucks right there. I knew that was coming up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did see that you have your advent calendars now promptly displayed as well for the holidays. Yeah, the uh, those were... I took. I didn't know what was going to happen last year. I got contacted by a guy about advent dice calendars, where each one you pop open, there's unique dice in there, and you end up with like several new sets that had never been released before. And they were very popular last year, and he made um, kind of a 31-day Halloween version as well as a traditional 24-day advent calendar as well. So we've got a couple different ones of those. Um, Haba this year came out with a, um, a wooden toys advent calendar. It's, it's called My First Advent Calendar, so it's aimed at little kids, right? And it is the little wooden animals that, as you open it up, it unlocks like new, fun, like little ways to play as with toys. 
um, on a more of like a game board, traditional game board as well. So, yeah, uh, Haba, of course, for those that don't know, is a German company, and everything they do is made out of wood. I don't know um, of any game that they've released yet. Maybe there's probably some have, adult-themed ones. Yeah, but. they have some that utilize cardboard, but even then, their 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 games are made to be heavy, durable, you know, age-appropriate. It, it, it takes the abuse it needs. Yeah. You can toss them, and it's not going to shatter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, little kids can abuse them and, and, and be fine with it. And then we, we grabbed a, a couple of other advent calendars that we saw out there for uh, Fallout and Nightmare Before Christmas as well. Those look cute. What is inside the Fallout one? So those two are um, a little bit more like a large book kind of uh, – format and they have little souvenirs recipes uh little mini game party game kind of things interesting just a lot of little fun some some ornaments it's kind of uh i i think of those ones almost they, they're kind of like a themed loot crate uh advent calendar uh, okay. in a way i could see that, that that's yeah. a really clever idea yeah, yeah and um there was a lot of other options that were out there, and I just was like, eh, that's not necessarily appropriate for Red Raccoon, or I don't, I'm not sure if we have a customer base who would appreciate that at all. So some of the stuff is, you know, a lot of stuff that we do at the store is just thinking about the people that come in and the people that we talk to and say, I think somebody would be interested in this. I think this would make somebody happy. And that's really what we, you know, Jesse and I spent a lot of time looking at new product going, does this appeal to anybody? Right. Who does this appeal yeah. to? Who is the customer base for this? And it's a lot of trying to get out of our head and our ideas of mm. what we think we would want because we're trying to, you know, the, the customer base for the store has gotten so diverse in mm. the, over the years mm. as we're appealing to all these different people from hardcore, I want these giant crunchy games to the super casual people to people who identify as gamer girls and they're snatching up all the stuffed animals that we bring in and and then a lot of moms coming in too. I could think of already seven people that would go into that store for somebody else most likely, not interested in games, but see Nightmare Before Christmas and instantly snatch mm-hmm. that up and be reading the back of it. It's it's something that it, there's a universalness oh, yeah. to the to not only that product but to a lot of the stuff that you have in the store where there's going to be something for everyone. Even if you're being drugged into Red Raccoon, which hurts my heart to even think that that's possible, you will find something that's like, oh, I I know that. Like I get that. I see why that's cool. But there are people it. being drugged into Red Raccoon. <laughs> uh, yesterday, so today's Sunday. We're we're taping on Sunday. Yesterday, Saturday morning. The first seven groups in the store were very obviously parents being drugged in there by their children. And that was there. Every single group was all about the Pokemon yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yep. And sometimes those parents are just kind of like, they're doing their thing, I'm hanging out. Sometimes the Mandalorian helmet catches their eye or something, right? Like that kind of happens too. Um, you know, and, and like Jamie said, so much of it is a sifting what is going to be something people are interested in. Because it's not just, is this, does this look good or bad? It's, well, how many people are going to be into this? I had a conversation earlier with a customer that they had come in from a few hours out of town and they specifically were looking for Gunpla and, you know, like plastic model kits and stuff. And uh, You're like, you just found your sweet spot. <laughs> well, and, and the interesting thing was they looked and then they were like, so I don't want to be rude. I'm just curious because we're just driving through the state from, you know, about three hours away is there any other place around that carries these? And I was like, well, there's a couple places like, it's like, I think this place might. And then someone was like, no, they don't anymore. I was like, okay. 
I mean, there's a couple of chains that have something sometimes, and but we're kind of it in Central Illinois that I'm aware of. There might be a place in Champaign I don't know about. I don't know, right? Um, but uh, not I, unless they added it recently. Okay, there you go. So I will say the kits that you have in Red Raccoon, I've never usually seen in any of the, right. the, the and, retail shops. And I told them I was like, you know. I understand, like, but I'm sorry that we didn't have what you were looking for. And they're like, well, you have a good selection. It's just we have a lot of stuff already. And, and I had made the comment. I was like, you know, if you came in a week ago, because I just got a large shipment from that we imported from Japan, and a lot of what I have right now is Gundam kits and some, you know, some more of the quote-unquote main, mainstream stuff within that. But, like, I got some oddity stuff, too, that I was like, I know there's a few people around like this. Like, I got some Gurren Logan kits. I got some Gunbuster kits. I got some Captain Harlock kits. And I got fewer of those because I was like, well, I know I would want those, but how many other people? And then week one, snatch up, boom, 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 right? So might have to, might have to do yeah. that again. Before the end of the year. So let me know about uh, <laughs> any girl and Logon stuff you get. Man, that Super Galaxy girl and Logon, I really wanted it, but I wanted to give everyone else a chance to get it first. I yes. did see about two weeks ago there was a huge Gundam box that you said that you had gotten five, and I saw the last one being sold in like a day. So. Uh, I think that that was. There was the the Master Grade Sazabi for Ka, which I was only able to get eight of, and I would have gotten twice that at least because they went very quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots of good stuff. I think yeah. the, the other thing that was in the, the case, too, that went really hot that I was excited about, and then I built it, and then I was going to throw it across the room because I wasn't reading the directions properly, <laughs> oh. was the Crystal Twister Dice Tower. And I skipped a step that turned out to be very important to my sanity. And, uh, yeah, because assembling that thing... Um, it's really cool. If you've seen it, we, we put out a slow motion video of the dice falling through it, so you can see that on TikTok or on the Facebook page. Uh, page. But there's a step in there that says, in the box there's a rubber band, and use the rubber band to hold everything in place while you're assembling the rest of it. And I just, my eyes skipped right past that step, and I was losing my mind trying to assemble it. And, and then Ben was looking over my shoulder, he's like, hey, it says there's a rubber band in the box. I'm like, I don't have a rubber band. And Ben's like, oh, it's right here. It's stuck in the bottom of the box. I'm like, and it made it so much easier. <laughs> and, and yeah, because you're supposed to put 10 steps in, and I think I ended up putting about 30 steps in because I kept knocking the lower ones out, putting the higher ones in mm. because I skipped the rubber band step. It take your, it come into the store, check this Dice Tower out. It is currently on the new hotness. I will say that Dice Towers normally, for me, are, uh, oh, that looks neat. It is just a thing, though, and I, I don't, I, it does what it's supposed to do, but it's no different than rolling hands. This crystal one, being able to get to see the dice falling through and the activity the that goes inside and the clickety clack that it has, there's something satisfying. I played with it like three or four times when I first saw it in the store, just because it does look that good. So I highly recommend at least and I'm gonna I, check in there. There was out. a guy who came into I'll some segue this real quick. This is a fun story. A guy who came in uh, probably three weeks ago, and he's like. He's like, hey, I build stuff all the time, you know, out of wood and everything. Would love to make something for you. Is there ever something, you know, that that I could make for the store that we could do something cool with? And I'm like, giant dice tower. And he's like, what? I'm like, have you seen the big dice towers and stuff that are out there? And I said, they're all no more than like mm. eight or ten inches tall. He's like, yeah. I said, how about a giant dice tower? He's like, how giant? I'm like. <laughs> I don't know, something that it takes a little kid climbing up on a stool to reach the top of it, to drop dice into the top of it, and it bounces all the way down and comes out the bottom. And he's like, 
I can do that. So one day, mysteriously, <laughs> it might just appear at the store, you know. Um, and I would, I, I would love to have that one for regular size dice, and then maybe an even bigger one for I have a an eight inch foam D20. And something that you have to throw it up in the, 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 the dice up in the <laughs> like air, like a basketball hoop, like a basketball hoop to get it into the funnel, and then watch it bounce all the way down. That would be fun. I, I, have, I have aspirations. There's got to be some store promotions uh, that go like, you know, <laughs> spend so much, toss the D20, the D20 down sale. the tower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The D20 sale. You know, we need something where the, the, there's a 15 foot tall dice tower or something. You watch it bounce all the way down and see what you roll at the bottom. I like that. Exactly. Yeah, aspirations. Well, we are looking forward to that day coming, but for right now, we actually do have to come to a close. So I want to say thank you to you guys again for joining us one more time. I'll go ahead and release the shackles once we stop recording. But uh, to everyone listening, thank you so much. We really enjoy doing this. It gives us a little time once a week, uh, once every while to really talk about things that we love. And the few, you know, seven people listening to this, we appreciate you. So until then, have fun. See you Thanks, everybody. everybody.